This season of Design Tangents is presented by Genesis. You can learn more about the brand and their vehicles at genesis.com. My name's Matthew Deere. There's so many different ways you can get into what I do. And every time I meet somebody or hear somebody, I wonder what avenue they took to find me. Because I DJ all around the world. But I've been at places I played in Berlin. A girl came up to me after my DJ set that that was the worst DJ set I've ever heard in my life. You didn't play any of the songs that you made. And I was thinking, oh, don't play that, Matthew Deere, when I'm in a nightclub. Welcome to Design Tangents, a podcast that goes behind the scenes with creative changemakers to learn about their work, inspiration, challenges, and philosophies. I'm Josh Rubin. I'm Evan Ornston. We're the founders of Cool Hunting. We launched our first podcast in 2005. Now, that was a video podcast, and it ran for 15 years or so. One of our first episodes was with Matthew Deere, visiting him in Michigan and learning about how he thinks about and makes music. So it just felt appropriate for this debut season of Design Tangents to revisit Matthew. He's a composer, a musician, a DJ, a fine artist. We went back to our roots and sat down with Matthew at his house in Michigan, We're excited for you to hear this episode. We're also really excited that Matthew created the music for our podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation because to me, it's like a poetic little bridge from our very first podcast. I don't remember exactly when we met, but we met, I think, before we did our video with you back in 2007. Mm -hmm. And I remember that episode and it was really great. We actually filmed that or part of it. You were fishing, and and it's quite near where we are today. Yes, 100%. There was a dam, Barton Dam, and I had actually, I was going there on my own. I was delivering pizza, I think, shortly before that. That's after I quit my my last day job. But during that that time delivering pizzas and driving around Ann Arbor, I got to know a lot of the uh, nooks and crannies of the town, and there was a little off-road that went to Barton Dam, and I'd go back there and I'd fish every now and then. If I grew up in Texas fishing with my father, he was kind of a, a commercial fisherman where you'd catch fish and sell them to, to restaurants and all that. So I, I grew up doing that in, in Texas. So fishing was always very much a part of my life as a way to you know kill the time. Like my dad would be driving down the street or down the highway to do something in Texas, and we'd always have fishing equipment in the back of the truck or suburban river. And uh so, oh, this looks like a great spot. We'll just pull off here and throw some, some lures in the Guadalupe River for a little bit. So I always had that mentality. And I think when you guys were coming by and like looking for stuff to film, it's like, hey, let's go fishing. <laughs> you know, I've got, got some stuff still. And we stopped by a really cool, uh, what they call what, um, mini marts here, which are basically a party stores. Or, no, we call it party stores, but you guys call them uh, bodegas, more in New York. And we stopped by there and got some, some worms there and we went fishing for a bit and I, I didn't catch anything I remember that <laughs> a tiny little fish this is very fresh for us because we just watched that a couple times this week and when we made that video you were well known to some people yeah. you'd already kind of co-founded a record label yeah Bill Sam from the beginning uh, at Ghostly at Ghostly International also from Ann Arbor here you were you met in college we did yeah Sam Sam's an incredible individual, Sam Valenti, at the fourth, uh, for those listening. He saw me performing live at a house party. I knew some of the guys there, uh, and I, I had coerced them into letting me set up all my electronic equipment in the basement of this top 40 party that they would have upstairs. And um, here I was 
with, I think, a keyboard and a sampler and my own PA. And of the five or 10 people that came through the basement that night, Sam was one of them. He saw what I was doing and was like, well, like didn't expect to see a guy making live techno here. Uh, and he introduced himself and said, hey, I really dig what you do. I want to start a label. And we went and had coffee the next week. Uh, he gave me his dorm room number. And for lack of a better uh, you know, phrase, the rest was history. You know, The, the label is Sam Valenti. And uh, I was the founding artist. And I really lucked out. You know, had I not met him, you know, I, I took a meeting with Carl Craig at Planet E, like about six months before that, just on a whim. Somebody I knew, knew him and got me a meeting in Detroit. And I love to tell Carl the story. I don't know if he ever remembers it. Like, you know, when I talk to mm-hmm. him, like, because uh, Carl's just awesome like that. But he gave me all the, he, he ended up hearing some of my tapes and gave me a stack of all the Planet E CDs. It was like Moody Man, Recluse, um, a few other people. And he just said, hey, like, basically go do your homework yeah like you're not quite ready like take these listen to it and then come back and that was so that was six months before i met sam so i was i was out there i was trying to get myself out there. i realized that i had this urge to release music but meeting sam was such a crucial part of me becoming a, a, an actual artist i think in that sense where i could show sam a guitar song that i made one day um with a tape player and and some loops and stuff and then i could show him a techno song and he would get it and he would be like oh yeah we have a place for that or we at least have a place for your creative mind that way and i think the the track record has proven that to be so you know if i've released very acoustic sounding songs i've, re- I've released techno that could be played in a nightclub and it's all because of sam's um belief and confidence in my ability to just be free and do what I want to do. So hats off to Sam and Ghostly International as being my, that's like my house, you know, it's my, my label. I, I couldn't see myself ever. Of course I release on other labels in certain formats, but I would never not release on Ghostly. It's, it's part of who you are. hundred percent. And it's not like Sam isn't up for exploring and trying different uh, outlets. And that's also what makes it so good. We love so many of the, some of the artists that are on, on Ghostly, but we also really love the merch. Um, I'm actually wearing a Ghostly yes. t-shirt. This is an unofficial collaboration between myself and Ghostly because I bought it from you all and then iced dyed it. I like it. It's funny you mentioned all this, Matthew, because one of the things that I wrote down yes. in preparing for this was something that Sam said about you in 2007. And it's actually in this oh, wow. our podcast yeah. video. He said, the thing about Matthew as an artist is that he's unafraid to explore anything that's in his brain. And it kind of just reflects what you just said. Like he was always there for you, not trying to pigeonhole you saying, hey, you're good at whatever, techno or dance music or whatever. He was like, hey, as an artist, whatever you feel like expressing, I want to be supportive of that. And I love all the different labels I can release on Perlon and Berlin. and But they don't, I would never send them the, the weirder stuff they send Sam. Yeah. So, and it's so lucky, you know, I'm so lucky to have that. It, it could be a lot different if I it, if I did not meet Sam. I think I would struggle a lot with choices of limiting myself, you know, and not putting out or showing people certain things. You talked about some of your early musical influences, yeah, and and how Carl Craig kind of introduced you to more, and and yeah. that's of course an ongoing journey. I'd love to hear a little bit about your 
visual influences. Yeah. Because you're a highly visual person as well as a music maker. Totally. And more so recently, I think. Um, um, I don't know if it's just having, you know, I've had three children now. There's there's a thing with music, you know, where you're, when I'm younger, I'm thinking, okay, you'll never not do this. Um, you're you're a Bowie, you know, you're like a Lou Reed, like you're a prince in your mind. You're thinking, okay, this is what you do for the rest of your life. Um, there's no doubt about that. But something's happened where I think just the the, the onslaught of musicians and the ability to make music so prevalent and i love that i I love i think we hear so much music that we would not have heard of had the iphone not have had such amazing apps or software had become so prevalent now there's software that people use on on web websites now you can make music uh, and mix music and that's great and i think so many people have access to it now so something has happened i think in that that change that maybe made me do a, a few second guesses or just maybe lost my my total undying uh, unfettered like passion to just make music all the time i still do like i love sitting down in the studio and tinkering with sound and, and playing with synthesizers playing with my voice and effects and everything but releasing music i think has kind of become a bit harder for me and inter- introduce art now um, all of a sudden definitely during the pandemic i made a choice i said look i'm gonna take this opportunity to finally really learn programs like uh, Adobe After Effects and uh, Premiere. I'm going to learn how to edit and I'm going to learn how to dabble in Illustrator, graphic design and things that I had been so either afraid to touch or just didn't have the time to touch and try to get it, get it right. But I looked at it like music. You know, when I started making music, you don't know what you're doing you have an idea of what you want to do, what you want to sound like, but when you're young, it just doesn't matter. You don't really, you don't give a shit. You shouldn't if you're, if you're trying to be a musician. But I didn't have that bravado or that confidence with visual arts because I hadn't chose that route or or film or editing. You know, I didn't I didn't choose that as an as an 18 year old or 16 year old. So I always thought of it as off limits. You know, so slowly but surely. I think I started with like dad memes and jokes, <laughs> which is making like the most weird, like cut up Photoshop-y like, like app stuff on my phone. But I also start, you know, getting into like OS based stuff, like on the, on the computer. And it just slowly morphed into something. I was like, Oh, maybe I can actually show this to Michael China who does my art for, for ghostly. And maybe I can show this to Sam and, you know, bless their hearts. And he'd say in the South, they really, uh, you know, gave me my, space to grow i'm sure they saw some things i was showing them been like oh, that's, that's cute matt they uh, keep trying <laughs> but no they've been a, they've been fun to like bounce ideas off of and yeah, slowly again you know I, it's a totally different beast uh visual arts it's it's cool in the sense that i i'm never the type of artist to um to say my stuff is, is good music or not you know but definitely visual arts you know but it's, it's, it has sold a few things, or whether it be NFT or actually sold some physical products to some, some fans early on that was doing some actual painting. And, and I post to Instagram and a couple of fans really liked what I was doing. And they asked if they could buy it. And I was like, okay, like, sure. And so we set up a little thing and, and I shipped it to them. And I mean, that felt so good that 
somebody thought it was worth having and and I definitely see a big crossover. It's fans of my music want to have something that I did visually and it's it's a little bonus thing and it's awesome. Uh, Is there a similarity at all in kind of the creative process? Yes. Whether you're creating a piece of music or a piece of art in some way? Absolutely. Um, especially the digital stuff. The, the physical stuff, when it's when it was, I definitely went through a phase where I was going to like Blick and like buying like oil paints and pastels and you know, I was physically invested into making art with absolutely no training. Like, you know, you see a Picasso or, or you know, um, any, any real good artist can draw very abstract, simplistic uh, works. And you're like, oh, that's very, pretty simple. But then you know that they can also draw like a very lifelike, amazingly photorealistic, like um, portrait of somebody. Like, okay, yeah, they're, they're trained. They know art. They know light, they know shading, they know how to draw something, but they choose to express themselves in, in different ways. Me, no, I can just like throw some random paint on the paint and it's like, okay, that looks kind of cool, but I have absolutely no ab- ability to draw an actual like apple if, if I needed to. So in that sense, I always knew like there was different, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved the process. I loved what it felt like versus music. And that process was just so cathartic and like it was almost meditative like i would just sit there and like just paint and and get you get in the zone of just letting out like movement like through brush strokes and and this like routine action with my hand would become this like meditative thing and this was way this like six years ago probably like so this is on my way out of music daily you know finding things different to do with my expression going somewhere mentally it was a very relaxing and and it kind of resulted in something that you could see um which was a lot like music you know a lot like organic music where you're just sitting there playing a guitar for a long time and you kind of forget what you're doing or you forget where you are and i love that about the physical the physical art um i have a, I have a saying with that kind of art for me at least it worked best when it looked like i wasn't there you know, like I wasn't a part of the piece at all. Like there was no human involvement. Um, cause I could tell when I was there, like if I saw something I painted and I was like, Oh, it's, this looks like a human trying to do something with paint on a canvas or whatever. But there's a lot of times where it just looked like, Oh, I don't really see me in that. And I was like, oh, that, that actually works. I don't see a hand. I don't see a brush. I don't see a, a thing. It just is an image that appeared digitally. I've been trying to figure out if there's a way to connect fishing yeah. to the other work that you do. And I feel like I just heard it, but I'm curious if you would agree that there's something about the meditation yes. and the repetition is grounding or in fishing is grounding that maybe you also find in making art or music. It, it, it's a stretch, but I'm curious if you find parallels or similarities or if you go to a similar place when fishing as when making music or making visual art yeah like are you composing while you're fishing yeah you're definitely patient you know um it's not just that it's the ability to find peace and you know um solace like the ability to just like be relaxed in an environment where you don't know if you're going to catch a fish in a minute or an hour you know and a lot of that was under the Texas sun, 
you know but it's it's when the act itself becomes better than the reward 100% music is like that for me I've always made music you know from the time I can remember deciding to to be a musician um, my father was also a musician he was a fisherman but he was also a musician so I grew up around guitars and and all that uh, tape recorders and everything so when I chose to finally say okay I want to do some of this too I've balanced it out to I'm sure I've made an hour of music every day for my entire life since I was 14 years old at least maybe 20% of that music gets released like publicly so yeah fishing is, is a lot like that it's just the act of doing it is way more important than the, the reward of releasing an album or releasing a song or catching a fish our partner for design tangents is Genesis the luxury Korean automaker let's be honest a lot of sponsored episodes sound like commercials and we're incredibly pleased that our conversation with Luke Donkerwalk and Sangyup Lee, the creative visionaries at Genesis, was so insightful and engaging. We learned a lot about their approach to design innovation and what defines one of the core principles, which is being distinctly Korean. They've done so much so quickly to build the brand and design an entire lineup of gorgeous cars. We've seen their work, we know their hand, and we're really impressed and happy to have learned more about the brand and their vision for it. Listen to our episode with them in our season one lineup. And if you want to learn more about the brand and their cars, visit Genesis.com. In looking at some of your newer things that you're doing in terms of your art, like what's your relationship with technology? I mean, how do you use it as a tool to help you express yourself? You're writing a story, whether it be visual or audio, from left to right. You start to see similarities in the way that you do things. There's there's timelines you're using, whether it be keyframes, like they say, and, and video, or um, modulations or audio modulations, and, and just shifts in frequency and, and level and amplitude, or effects, whether it be you know, delay or reverb. They're just different Swiss Army knives. You know, they're they're kind of doing the same thing. You're, you're affecting a base image or a base sound um, and you're manipulating it to tell your story and your version of that story and it's I've always said with mu- music you know whether you have the classic 909 808 303 you know electronic music those machines don't necessarily have a soul but it's the the operator's soul that tells them what to do hmm. you know you're seeing this beauty of of a marriage of different sects of you know uh, art forms and industries come together to make better art, and I love that. And if you noticed um, during CES, one of the announcements that was made was that Mastercard um, was launching an effort to educate and support musicians to create NFT work. Oh no, I did not see that. And is it a way for them to like? make money and sell nfts on their platform probably but that's fine you know like, in the future but i but i like that you know it's it's open i don't think they're trying to like scam anybody you know they understand that yeah okay we can help this this process a little bit and in the end we'll get some sales and maybe make our percentage here and there but i don't think that's that's not icky to me you know that's not bad like i appreciate that if 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 government isn't going to be doing it if there's not going to be socialist programs that are, 
you know, that used to be out there to like help the arts and children learn how to play music and put on puppet shows and did all sorts of various things, then maybe it has to be MasterCard or Microsoft. There would be no Mozart or Bach or anybody without the, Michelangelo? the, the backers. Yeah. When you make music and when you make visual art, is there a similarity in the in the process, in the repetition? And do you listen to music when you're making visual art? And what do you typically listen to? And how does that music influence the visuals that you're making? Uh, I, I think I choose not to. I think my brain only has the ability to do or process so much. And I don't know if I'd just be worried that, you know, I, I would be internalizing or interpreting some of the music I was hearing into the piece uh, that I was working on. But I just, I've always chose, chosen not to, to have too much going on. But I will say, like recently, I, I plugged in, I got a, a new Mac computer, one of the Mac studios. I got it specifically because I, I wanted to start doing more visually and not just, you know, audio. But I love combining the two. That's the marriage of the audio and the visual at the same time. That's that's about the part three. You know, it's like, that's a whole other option, um, which doesn't always necessarily have to be there. Um, but it is something I've worked on. But when I work on a visual piece, there is that kind of ruminating and just tweaking and just here and there and like I love blending and and layers and and layers upon layers of 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 color and and um filters and it just different effects and and I like to just tweak and I can tweak for hours just like I do loops with audio where I can just sit there and just go way too far with one sound or one 15 second loop and it never amasses into a song and I could do that with art now and I do it sometimes where it's just like this, this hue this, this shade works a little bit better with this shade and then all of a sudden the the way that I sit and, and play with sound is very similar to the way that I sit and play with color and visual it's, it's a lot of layering it's kind of making it sound like you're not there like I said like taking the human part out of it and I've always had a problem, a love-hate relationship with presets and, and things that are out of the box, whether it be visual, like, you know, hey, here's a here's a sampler reel that you can use for, you know, After Effects or a sampler effect. And you know that the true heads and, and you know, the real the real designers are going to see that and be like, oh, that's, that's effect number 407 or whatever. And that's how it is with music. You know, like a, a, a real real down down in the in the ditches uh music producer can be like oh yeah that's that's valhalla's reverb effect number like whatever from their preset pattern um and i think that the goal of being a good artist is not only using those to your advantage but figuring out how to make it sound like it's not that um and i remember talking to somebody who ran a uh oh yeah um uh drummer for france ferdinand when we were out on tour she was doing a tutorial school online in Scotland where she lives. But she said there was a, a young student who had a patch of the, like 10 of the same effects on, on the sound. And she was like, well, but why do you have the same delay like 10 times? And the kid was just like, well, I like the way it sounded, you know? And like, I would never think to do that, but that is it. That's, that's the art of it is taking a program like Ableton uh, and an effect that everyone else who uses Ableton has, but finding a way to make it 
yours and make it totally yours. And I think that's what I try to do with music and art. Taking the, the programs, the mundane, the things that come with the computer out of the box, whether it be my first computer in 1994, I had Sound Blaster Pro on it, and I was manipulating it to like mix different you know soundtrack cuts and stuff, and just making like audio edits for the first time. Jump to now, where you have Logic and built-in synthesizers and and built-in effects, and just kind of like how can I tweak those? How can I learn it better? And how can I modulate it? And how can I dive deeper into the program to to make it sound different than it than it came? Side note. There's a big problem there too. You, know, you can you can get way too caught up in it, and that's when you can sit and work on a loop or a piece for way too long. So it's that that's the balance. Is like how do I how do I manipulate it just enough without it becoming detrimental to my process as a as a uh, an artist? You have to learn how to limit yourself and put these restrictions on and take a step away from it. Totally. So yeah. So this question is 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 probably counter to everything that you just said, but I, I really want to know what you think anyway, which is you've made music for a really long time. You're making visual art more recently. These are separate practices for you at the moment. Can you imagine combining them? Can you imagine composing visuals and music simultaneously? Is that exciting to you is that daunting it's it seems like a no-brainer i think technology is actually going in that direction um one example a very very tactile example is is fruity loops fl studio used to be called fruity loops by image line software um now has this little patcher that i've recently discovered one of the more recent updates called the video game editor and a lot of the presets are kind of like this song is by so-and-so artist name track name and it's just really kind of cool built-in visuals that can be synced to audio so they expect you now as you're making your song like hey why don't you put a visual out with it whether you're going to put it on youtube or your instagram page here's a tool set now that you can kind of make, be your own visual graphic designer. And they're pretty cool looking like for, for presets, as far as presets go, they're pretty like, wow, that's like really polished and shiny and looks like really cool 3d rendering and stuff. And I thought to myself, wow, like this is definitely the way of the future because a lot of the young people now expect that. And they, you don't just put out a song, you put out a, a, a teaser, you, know, you put out the visual element. Um, and I think, I do a class at U of M at University of Michigan on the recording industry. And I've done it for about six years now. And it's basically about how to put out music in the digital age. It's a mini course. It's a one credit course I do for about eight weeks. And I'm talking to kids a lot about that exact experience. It's like, how do you make a mark or how do you get recognized in this day and age? And how do you release music and be seen? And it is that you need to be an editor. You need to be a manager. You need to be a graphic designer. You need to be um, a writer, copywriter for your own kind of press release on top of being a musician. So you're going to see a lot more of this crossover of musicians needing to make a splash visually. That being said, there are people like Max Cooper and um, uh, the Raster Norton label um, who have been doing 
a marriage of visual and audio for a very long time. And they're very, very good at it. And do they sit there and make a visual thing at the same time as the audio thing? No, not really. I don't think they're doing that yet. But I do think we're going to see a lot more of that. So yeah, I think there's going to be a blend of the VJ and the the DJ, for lack of a better, you know, two two letter. What about the AIJ? The AIJ is there. There's actually DJ software, the app. It's D E E. I think J. That I just real I've learned recently because this is the other thing. Okay, I'm getting very lazy and I'm looking for things that do a lot of stuff for me and promo mixes and DJ mixes have always been a bit of a thorn in my side because look, I love DJing, but I like DJing in a room for 50 people to, you know, 5,000 people. Like I like the experience of us dancing to music together and feeling something. But if uh, somebody wants a mix from me, it's like literally the hardest thing for me to do is sit down and make a DJ mix at home. So I was looking and I found this app down that basically has auto mix features Mm -hmm. so I can put in the songs and just like push play and like because what's it going to do it's going to fade it in and out like i do is that going to become more prevalent you think i think so i mean obviously that's what everybody's saying you know we talk about web3 and what's happening with nft and ai i'm a huge i've been on dolly too for a while and you know just started finally figuring out how to use mid-journey and you know i love i love the weirdness of it i love the mistakes i love the arguments about it taking away jobs from real artists i love i love all that it's all part of it um no one person is right there's no it's not all going to be one way or not it's all going to be a mix of everything like it always is but there is such a fascinating space now with the visual element um and there's no doubt that music is next uh, ambient music of course is being kind of propped up as the first thing to get done by ai and it's tricky you know i i kind of had a little diatribe what off i've got some friends that are also in in that that world of, of the tech side the actual writing of the programs and i was thinking why do we have a tool like why are we be, why are we allowed to use all this stuff like why are we the creators being given chat gbt or why are we being given access to this because we're the testers like we're the ones we're using it so they can learn it like the the coders and the the software, like OpenAI wants us, they need us to use this stuff to be able to figure out what they want to do with it. Um, and whether that's going to be to teach cars how to drive or, you know, uh, automate services for other things later, I don't know. I don't know what the process is all about, but I know that they're using us to to test this software. They don't care if we come up with fake Mona Lisa's and, you know, that's not what it's about. It's not, the end goal isn't for us to create art. I think we're the middlemen for whatever this stuff is going to eventually do and accomplish. I mean, we talk about this a lot, especially lately, especially just okay. coming out of CES. Just a lot of talk about this. And then people are like, well, you know, you're out of a job because AI is going to write better stories than you can. And Josh and I laughed. We're like, well, faster than we can. Yeah. Sure. But I still am a really big believer. And I think you've touched on this at a few different times in this conversation about tools are great. Technology is great. But the art comes from within and it has to be kind of conducted, if you will, or, or, or managed or driven by the human, by the person. Mm-hmm. And tools are there to support that process, enhance that process. And I think about that the same with us. Like maybe there is 
technology someday that's going to write better stories, but they don't have the context, yeah. right? The AI is only as good as the data totally. that goes into it. And it's pulling from things that already exist. It's not having these thoughts on its own, thoughts, quote unquote. It needs the Google search image base to make something that it sees. So not to interrupt, but my theory was, or thinking was, well, you're not a good enough artist if, if this stuff takes your job because it's basically taking things that artists have already done and just kind of putting it together and making a new piece of art. The real artists are doing something that this computer system has no access to. You yeah. need the context. You need the ability to think critically about it and how things come together and, and pull it together based on other experiences that you have and other inputs that you have. In a lot of ways, it's role the editor, right? Yeah. I wish, I wish all that stuff was around when I was in school. This is Amy Devers, host of Clever. My podcast brings you conversations you're not going to hear anywhere else with the visionaries and creative forces who shape our world and culture. It's a compelling mix of raw candor and honest shop talk that reveals the humanity behind the design of the world around us. Clever is a proud member of the Surround Podcast Network. Head over to surroundpodcast.com or follow Clever wherever you get your podcasts. I've been releasing music since 1999, you know, produce music for myself, but I've made collaborative efforts and, and projects with big companies like GE and Ford, uh, Microsoft. I've become this kind of corporate remixer of sorts as well. <laughs> and lately I'm dabbling a bit more in, in visual arts. Matthew just, just showed us a piece of work that he's going to talk about, which looks like it's probably 60 inches square. Yeah, 48 by 48. And that that's the sample. That's the first thing I've ever printed, I guess, basically. Uh, and I chose that one. That That's also so, an NFT. So, so a physical representation of a digital work that you made. That is the product of the generosity and, and uh, support of a group of people at Spotlight um, in Detroit. One of our favorite places in Detroit. Which I love to hear that when you said you, you know of Spotlight. Spotlight is this great multi-use space here in Detroit. It's in kind of a very industrial neighborhood where you probably wouldn't expect some kind of, I want to call it a club, but it's more than a club. There's kind of a bodega that we were talking about before. There's a record shop. Uh, it's a bar and it's a, a, a multi-use kind of music venue, dance venue. It's somewhere we'd love to check out forward to. Totally. So they have a, they have another element to it um, that is completely about producing art and making things for all sorts of arts. And they're starting to do just completely. Uh, they do skateboards for people. They do uh, cause style toys. They do prints. They do all the stuff that ends up on the walls at Spotlight when they have the gallery space. They they're making everything as well. Um, and Jesse and Rula from there have been so supportive. Uh, I went for a night just to hang out. And I showed Rula some of the art I was working on. And she said, well, how about we do a show for you? I was like, what? Like, she's like, yeah, like, this is amazing. Let's, let's, we have an opening in like a few months. We'll do a show. I'm going to do an opening party, which kind of goes back to some of the questions about have I done you know, music and art simultaneously? And that is going to be, I want to do a live performance of more ambient music, modular sounds, using my synths but also creating some color stuff live kind of in unison with the, uh, the sound as well as maybe using some of the, the images for NFT 
this one in particular, just to talk about specifics, this one was an NFT that I put up on, on Foundation recently, and I needed to produce a sample with with everybody of the Rulon Jesse, and I chose that one just because I recently made it, and it was so bold, and it's, I mean, it's primary colors, it's very intense, and I was like, okay, if this looks good on, on print, on this is aluminum, uh, so if this looks good on there, then I know that the other stuff will look good too. Um, so it's really more about just the test of the color and, and the, the the properties of it to see if that works uh, more so than the actual image. How is it painted? Uh, it's done at the factory that uh, gets just sprays uh, really high intensity spray painting on it. But I was so impressed with it, just like the vividness of it and it really worked. Uh, Jesse suggested this format. It's like, you know, I think aluminum's gonna look great for this stuff. Um, but you can also print onto paper and all that and get different effects. The thing about like, the center, for example, you get I've I've learned with these like reds and blues on on computer screens, whether it be iPhone or a MacBook or whatever, you get an effect that happens with the the L C D crystals, you know, in the screen itself. You'll get this blurriness that happens um, between reds and blues and it kind of turns into this eye trickery and your eye starts to kind of like bounce and you'll get movement in a still image so a lot of my nfts were i call them moving stills and i also wanted to see if that would happen in real life and it kind of does in a weird way under the right lighting conditions you can look at this and you'll get the same eye jitters um which is really cool because i want to do a lot more of that on print you know bonus is that we're talking about expanding upon the idea and not just doing the, the gallery show but actually starting like an art house of sorts like a, Ma- a matthew deer art house. it's it's the natural extension of where you're at i think so and for me it's always just been necessity you know is it necessary i don't like the idea of making stuff that doesn't need to be made but i found through nft and through art like i said people that buy it are, are fans of mine um and i make more more friends and, and connections this way as well so i look at it like that you know it's a, it's a, it's a better way to meet people and and do more and inspire me i, I need new options and it, that's what it's giving me you know thank you for that perfect setup Matthew, because <laughs> one of the things that needed to be made was music for our podcast series. yes and when josh and i were talking about all the creative different components of what we needed to do the brief was a little bit loose <laughs> i love that and it was like hey you know us we need music for the podcast i love it but Doing something explicitly for podcasts is maybe different for you, but certainly you've composed many, many things for all kinds of uses before. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think it's very playful. So I, I did something very me, which is just basically thinking about you guys and thinking about what you do and listening to some of the stuff you sent me already and just having all that just in my head and then just sitting down multiple nights and starting and stopping and erasing and restarting deleting redoing and then when something finally sticks in my because i'm a huge podcast listener as well so i i I would like to think that i I have an idea of what it could be and couldn't be i had recently watched a a little documentary about the tones of the original radio and tv programs like nbc and cbs and how they had those do 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 like that stuff it's chimes, the chimes, and they, it was all about where the chimes came from and how they needed them as like a sign off for like the midnight hour or something. They needed to be able to to show the, I think it was the the broadcast tower needed to be able to talk to the 
the host of the show like there was this weird like they needed a code to like let each other know that okay i hear you and you hear me and we're gonna go into this like off hour like thing um and so that's where it came from but then it stuck and it became like we still have i think i don't know if it's nbc's like the peacock one um that still exists and it doesn't serve the same purpose that it used to anyways when you guys said you wanted something you're like take a listen to what we have and let us know if you hear anything else happening and i just listened to that i said okay they need a three-tone you know sound and i went back and i did that now so there is at the beginning that the cool hunting three-tone chime of sorts it's, yeah. it's, it's buried in a lot of other stuff yeah but it is there and i think it does set that that's a better tone for like because it's like when you listen to podcasts whether it be um energetic or one of the suspense ones you know one of like the the mystery crime mystery whether it's radio lab i think the sound is a big part of it that that whether it be music or the atmosphere of the sound effects you always you recognize it right away you're like oh yeah now i'm listening to um you know new york times we're embarking on our next 20 yeah. right we have to have a nod to the past we're inspired by the past but it's really all about the future I'm happy to be part of that. Matthew, I've had so much fun. You mentioned that you, you're doing all kinds of different things. How can our listeners find you? First and foremost, I would say go to ghostlyinternational.com backslash artists uh, and just find my, my name there and click on me. Ghostly, like I said, is it's my home base and you can really kind of get a glimpse of everything I've done. You also have a studio? Yes, matthewdearsounds.com. Uh, is also a way you can get me for more commercial style projects, whether it be simple sound design or commercial design. I love to work on that as well. Instagram, of course, Matthew Deer. Easy enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can see, like, I, I post my unboxing of this monstrous piece behind us um, from Spotlight. You know, I, I post digital things I'm working on, I post new sounds that I'm, I'm doing in the studio. Uh, I love to just leak, like, full songs that I just made because I could just say, hey, here's a brand new song that I just made. Um, you mentioned that a lot of your NFT work is on Foundation. Foundation is my my home for NFTs. Um, so you can go there. I did do one music NFT like I talked about earlier. That's on Catalog Works. Um, that was with uh, Ghostly as a, as a partnership. Um, you can get a few of my things unreleased on Ghostly that came out on Bandcamp only uh, during the pandemic. I released three kind of silent albums or sleeper albums that Included a lot of stuff that hadn't come out, so that's a little known fact. You can go there for some some rarities and B-sides. And of course, just about any music platform. Any streaming platform. It's been so great reconnecting with you in person. We've been spending a lot of time working together remotely as we develop the sound, or you develop the sound for us, for, for our podcast. But to be here today has been really great, and we're really grateful for your friendship and for your incredible work. Awesome. I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Josh, before we go to credits, you know, I've been thinking about something for this episode. We recorded it originally a few months ago, and when we were editing it, I felt that there were two things that we really needed to revisit. One of those things is about the merchandise that Ghostly makes, because I know it's something that you're really fond of and you wear, honestly, almost every day. And the second thing was I wanted to give the chance for our listeners to hear the whole song that Matthew composed, because we don't ever play it as a whole song. We usually just chop it up and use little bits and pieces here and there. 
Yeah, the the ghostly merch. I I touched on it a little bit in the episode, and I'm glad that we're back to dig in further because, yeah, Evan, I do, I guess, wear the socks pretty often, and maybe a few different T-shirts quite often as well. Um, Matthew, we talked about your music, we talked about your visual art, we talked about the story of Ghostly, and one of the things that I've always loved about the brand is all the merch beyond hats and socks and t-shirts there's headphones and watches and bags and and lots of stuff water bottles and sometimes that merch is is made in collaboration with different artists who are kind of reinterpreting the ghost and other times it's using the standard ghostly mark is is the merch side of ghostly something that that you get into as a a user as a fan 100 percent. aside from you know, my, my album artwork and, and my, my physical releases being available on the site, I have not contributed much to the merch side. But now that you're making more visual art, can I have a Matthew Deere t-shirt is really all I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, thank you for getting direct with it. Can we uh, pitch this to Sam if that's not already happening? I would love to sell you a Matthew. I want to make you a Matthew Deere t-shirt. Um, I've been watching like some funny YouTube stuff, and I, w- I won't credit anybody in particular, but there's a lot of wild YouTube stuff out there. Like my son, my five-year-old son, and I have been watching this one uh, group of Australian guys who have a giant hammer. Uh, like, and I'm talking like the size of like maybe two school buses, like high, like like a like a carnival ride size hammer. And they just did some merch where they had four gallon buckets of like fluorescent paint, and they hit it with the hammer. And surrounding it was all these like hooded sweatshirts, like blanks, and they were like spraying their merch with paint fresh. And that's what I have to do for you. Um, I'll probably yes. get yes, like please. a small, like maybe a, a a quart of paint, and maybe just a regular mallet, and I can I can do some uh-huh. <laughs> some Gallagher style smashing. And we'll see what we can get uh, going. But no, I I would love to make some 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 really custom I've, I've been talking about it maybe there's a collab maybe matthew you you do part of it and then josh does ice dying on top of it or something yeah and i realized as i explained this whole process i totally i shot myself there's no way sam would ever do this so so this will have to be a one-off <laughs> direct uh but I, I i honestly like when things come out like i i go right on there and i order them like everybody else and and sometimes they're sold out right away i'm like shoot i missed that yeah, one too. it's uh, um, a lot of it sells out real fast you got it you got it quick uh, even me, you know, I have to have quick and there are some amazing collaborations and some, some of the art I've been doing, you know, it was definitely inspired by Sam's, uh, history of art and, and his use of art in the label and just bringing me with people like Michael China and Will Kauka and the people that I've worked with, uh, over the years on my album art, I've learned so much and, and been able to watch that process and see how it clicks. Nice. Well, thank you for indulging my merch fanboy pursuits. Of course. Well, let's trade. You give me some uh, Jen Stark socks, and I can probably send you some some ghostly socks. <laughs> yes, easy. Jen would love for you to have her socks. I'm feeling some collabs happening. Uh, maybe I could do some music for her, one of her pieces or something. Oh, I love that idea. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the soundtrack. You know, our listeners have heard it over different episodes and the way that it's used. But I just love it. And we worked hard on it. You worked really hard on it. And we felt it'd be really nice to play the whole song. So we're going to do that for you after the credits. Matthew, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, so listening back, you know, to the song, 
I, I think I want it to be playful. I want it to be energetic. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's a tricky slope. It's like when I open up for Depeche Mode, you realize you, you're just there to like be a small, brief moment before somebody sees their favorite band or whatever. So, so the people coming to w- listen to the podcast, they want to hear you guys talk to people. So it's a little bit of that. Like you kind of want to just be a quick, like bump set spike kind of thing. Like I want to, I want to get, I don't want to take up too much mental space, but I want the mental space that I've taken with the sound and with the music to be inviting and engaging and, and, and warm and playful, which I think is what I've gleaned over the years from, from cool hunting. Um, so I was, I think I was trying to just let all that in that I know about you guys and, and know about the brand and just our, our history together. But at the same time, it's like, I'm me, you know? So there's a lot that, that I just want to do naturally when I go to a computer or a synthesizer. And luckily I think you guys kind of like that. You know, like most things we do, they're really personal. Um, so having people on the show that we know and have yeah. history with in some way has been really important for us. And the music for the podcast we felt had to be similar and we're really happy that we were able to work on it together so everyone can listen to it if you hang out for the credits right after that we'll play the whole soundtrack thank you for listening to this episode of design tangents with cool hunting make sure you hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode Design Tangents is proud to be part of the Surround Podcast Network. You can check out many other amazing design and architecture-related podcasts at surroundpodcasts.com. That's podcasts with an S. We're psyched to partner with The Studio by Sandow to make our show possible. Huge thank you to our production team, Samantha Sager, Rob Schulte, Hannah Vitti, and Wise Grisette. And thank you to Genesis for presenting this debut season. Our theme music is by the amazing Matthew Deere. Stay tuned for the next episode of Design Tangents and learn more about us at coolhunting.com.